Uh, we are going to jump into a new series today. I'm calling Turning Point because inside of every single story that you see and wouldn't mind living, every one of those stories that's out there where you look and you think, I kind of hope my story turns out like hers or his. I wouldn't mind at the end of my journey experiencing something like that. Every story that you see from a distance that has an ending or is ending really, really well, it's got a turning point. There is a part of the story. There's something on the inside of that story. There was a moment. There was a pivotal moment where things were one way, and then after that, things were different, and they were never the same again. Now, we look at some of those stories, and we begin to ask things like, well, what are some steps along the way? How could I be at that point? What were four tips along the way for being like you or living a life like that or being successful like that? Rarely do we say, what was the turning point? What, what changed the story for you? Because granted, there's discipline and there's drive, determination, and all those things that are important and imperative. But what was the real turning point in your story? Because every story has one. And unless you experience that pivotal moment, that turning point in your own life, things are going to continue to be the same. And you're going to have the same kind of experience that most humans have they spend their entire lives complaining about how life could be and should be, and nothing is ever done about it. They mope and complain, and it's always someone else or something else, or if I, or if I could have, or if I would have. There's always a reason, but nothing ever changes. Nothing is ever fixed, and no one ever heals. That's most of the experiences around us. So if we are going to actually experience change, there must be a moment, there must be a turning point at some point in our stories where we say, it was this way, no longer, now things are different. And I want us to take a look at some of these stories because ultimately that's what I want for you. I want much more for you than you just to have a typical human experience. I want you to know what it's like to pray not for peace, but pray with peace. I want you to know what it's like to approach God's presence and not feel compelled to have to ask forgiveness over and over for the same thing day after day after day after day. I want you to know what it's like to wake up on a random morning in the middle of the week and not feel like you're a broken but healing, dysfunctional, and barely hanging on by the grace of God Christian but that you are a confident and free follower of Jesus. That's what I want for you. But I do know that in all of our lives, mine included, there has to be a turning point, a point where things were one way, but they'll never be the same again. So we're going to look at a few turning points over the next few weeks as we approach Easter Sunday. The first one is going to be in John chapter 5. So if you have a Bible in the New Testament, we have a fourth book the fourth gospel, the fourth story of Jesus according to these particular guys. And we're going to look at John's today in what we call the fifth chapter. So we've got this story of a turning point with an individual that goes nameless. We don't know his name. We don't know anything about him prior to. We don't hear from him after this, as far as we know. 
Uh, we just have this one part of John chapter 5. And in verse 1, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now, if this is the first time that you've read this, or it's been a while since you've encountered this part of the Bible, the picture is there's this one place outside of Jerusalem, one community that has five covered porches where people go and hang out. And in the middle of those porches, there is a body of water, a pool of water rather. And it was believed by the people in that community that whenever the waters began to stir, whenever the waters were agitated, when they began to move, those who were in the water would experience healing. So their desire was to get into the water whenever the waters would begin to move. And John, the writer of this letter, doesn't spend time discounting or trying to prove anything about the healing powers of the water. He just said, this is how it was. The people believed you get into the waters, there was some sort of healing property there in the water. You could be there and you'd experience healing. When I read this, I am reminded of what we used to call a wave pool. And I don't know if they even have these anymore. I grew up in West Tennessee, and there was something called Adventure River. Not venture, but adventure. It was a full-on adventure. And we would go to Adventure River um, during the summer, and there were all these water slides. And throughout the park, everybody knew whenever you heard this buzzer go off, the wave pool was starting to move. The Lord was agitating the waters like it was happening. So every kid in the entire park wanted to make a beeline for the wave pool to get in there before it was gone, before the waves were out. So kids are holding sandwiches and they're holding big gulps. They've got all this stuff and half-eaten piece of borrow pizza. And you're just kind of go, oh, the wave. So you're trying to figure out what to do. And some kids just said, let's just go. And they're bringing it all in. And you're jumping in the wave pool, not clean, not sanitary, not healthy when I think about the whole experience. But it was a madhouse to get into the wave pool when it started. And in many ways, this was the picture. You've got all these people, high-maintenance people with a lot of struggles and a lot of things to overcome. And you've got people who are just walking by or sitting in one of the covered porches, just hanging out there, there in that community. And then when those waters would begin to move, and it wasn't regulated, no one pushed a button, and was, they kind of knew when it was happening, they all tried to make their way to get into the water. It says in verse 5 that there was one who was lying there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. And then Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once... The man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. An odd exchange for sure. Jesus chose to force a decision by asking the man a question. And I don't know why you chose to come today, but you're probably here looking for answers. You've got things going on in your life, in your work, in your home, relationships, things going on between your ears and feelings in your heart. You're just trying to work through some things and you're looking for answers. 
And you're hoping God will just show up and say, here are six steps to a healthier this, or here are five ways to reduce conflict in your whatever. Here. But sometimes, instead of answers, God asks a question. And Jesus was the master question asker. And if you go through the four books that we call the Gospels, many times Jesus responds to people's struggles, not with answers, but with a question. So he meets this young man, and young man is 38, okay, depending on, you know, where you are in life, it's relatively speaking a young man. He shows up in this man's life and says, let me ask you a question. Do you want to get well? Which seems like an incredibly cruel question to ask someone who cannot walk. And he said, yeah, I would love to walk, but when the buzzer goes off, I can't get in the waves. I don't have anybody to get me there. And so people run around me and I just, I'm stuck. So you've been stuck, yeah, for 38 years. Yeah, yeah, I've been right here, can't get there, that's my hope. But the question Jesus asked, I think, is what I want us to nail down today. Do you want to get well? Because whatever your sickness is, and we're all at times crippled by something, or crippled by discouragement, life just has not turned out the way we thought. When we were eight, 10, 12, 14, 16 years old, and we were thinking ahead, and we were dreaming, or we were writing down, or we were planning. This was not where we thought we would be. And there's just some discouragement that tends to linger. And we thought relationships would be different. We thought our job situation would be different. We all thought financially we'd be in a different place. We thought things would be so different in our lives. And that discouragement tends to, at times, slow us down, shut us down, and even, figuratively speaking, cripple us. So it might be discouragement. There might be dysfunction. You were just thrust into this dysfunctional situation, whether it's a home or a family. You didn't ask for this. You didn't ask for all the people around you to lose their minds and live like they'd have no boundaries at all. Like It's just happening to you, and you're stuck in this thing. And you feel like, well, I can't move out. I'll never have a, this kind of life, or I'll never experience that because of this. And you feel left behind and you're struggling and you feel a little stuck. Maybe it's humiliation or shame. Whatever your big mistake was you did in front of a bunch of people or a bunch of people that you cared about at least and now you don't feel like you can be free around them or be free in that situation or you don't feel like you're ever gonna be able to be yourself and be able to dream because of this. You just feel stuck. And then honestly, some of us are just trapped in our own sins stuff that we never really thought was a big deal. I mean, we're all a little bent towards a particular sin. What the enemy often does is take our gifts and pervert our gifts. And sometimes the things that make us strong are the things that make us weak. And it just happens. And then over time, we don't take care of it. We assume we're stronger than we are. And before we know it, we're realizing we've been asking forgiveness for the same thing for the last 11 years, and it hadn't gone away. We feel stuck. So whatever your level of stuck is, and you can't get there because you are here, I want us to allow Jesus to ask us that question today. Do you really want to get well? Of course the answer is yes, right? But do you want to get well? Why would he ask it that way? We'll go back to the story here. Why would he ask this 38-year-old crippled man if he wanted to get well? well? I don't pretend to know exactly what Jesus is thinking here. Um, you, many of you are perhaps even more spiritually attuned and in touch with the Spirit than I am, and maybe you've, you've got different thoughts here, but I know what could have been going on here with the man, because 
what we know for sure is if the man was going to actually be well, he would have to let go of everything that was familiar to him. And as we began to take his story and take our stories and converge them, that might be the same case for you. If you're actually going to experience healing and live healthy, well lives, whatever well is for you in your context right now, you're going to have to let go of what's familiar. This man did not know what it was like to be free, to be able to walk and to be able to run like everyone else, to be able to walk into a business and say, hey, are you hiring? I would like to apply for this job. To be able to say, I'm hungry, I'm gonna to walk to the market and I'm gonna get something myself. He did not know any of that. He didn't know what life was like other than to be crippled, to be stuck, to be at the mercy of other people, to be lying on a mat wondering what it would be like to be able to live a different kind of life. He didn't know any of that. And what I know, because I know me and I know human nature like we all do, is that there are times when you and I get really comfortable with our misery. Because comfortable doesn't always mean enjoyable. We just get familiar with it. And we've learned to cope. We've learned to deal with it. We say, well, this is my pain. This is my struggle. This is my cross to bear. It just is what it is. And I've learned to deal with it. I've learned how to fake it. I've learned how to mask it. I've learned how to work through it. But it's, it's not really joy. It's just we've figured out how to deal with it. And for this guy, he was just the dysfunctional, broken, crippled guy, and he felt it. So every day people are walking by and reminding him of who he is and what's going on just by the way they look at him, by the way they talk with him. But it's possible to get so familiar and so comfortable with our misery that we begin and form this twisted dysfunctional relationship with pain and with sorrow and with disappointment and discouragement. And if he was going to get well, he would have to let that go. He would have to be willing to step into a world that he didn't understand and never experienced before. The second thing he would have to let go of was his identity. We don't even know his name. All we know is he's the 38-year-old cripple in John's letter. How weird is that? We're talking about it. We should just make up. He's Kevin. We're just going to call him Kevin. My wife and I watched Up this week. We'll just call him Kevin, okay? We'll give him a name. He doesn't have a name. A 38-year-old cripple is all we knew. His identity, he was known as that guy. If you were going to talk about him and you mentioned him and someone in his community said, who? You know, the crippled guy. Not to be rude or anything, but you know, the guy that lies on the mat all day long. The one that's always starting the conversation with people as they go by. Like he's known in that way. He had never been known any other way. And for some of us, even when life has been kind of difficult for us and we're a little bitter, we're just, we're known that way. And, and people know us in this kind of way. And that's at times how we get attention. Now we could say, well, I don't care about getting attention. Well, have you ever lived where no one paid any attention to you? You know how difficult that is? So at times we lean into our brokenness because at least people take notice. We get a little sympathy. We get a few people saying, oh, let me help you out here. Oh, I hate that. Or I, I can't believe you're going through that. Or the more down we are, the more we have people coming alongside to try to lift us up. And at least we have some bit of attention. And he would have to let go of that. He would no longer be the crippled guy that lied uh, on the ground. No, he would not be that guy anymore. He would have to figure out what it's like to be, in some ways, like those around him. 
And then third, he would have to let go of his excuses. His entire life was marked by, hey, do you want to come with us? I'd love to, but you know. Hey, you want to come help us do this? We've got this chore. We have this job. It pays well. well. I would love to, but you know. His entire life, he had an excuse. Now, I'm not trying to make light of what he was going through, surely. But he was able to always not have to take a risk because he had this excuse. When I was a little kid, I remember going to uh, basketball games at uh, a college nearby where I lived. And we'd go to the games and there was this thing they would do at halftime where they would call out your ticket number. And if they got your number, you could come onto the court and shoot a, free, or a, a layup and then a free throw and then a three-pointer. And if you did, you got some amount of money. You had to make all three. And I did what every other kid did, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old. I'm sitting there going, man, I could totally make that. Like, that's, I could do that. I drained threes all day in my yard. Now, I chalked out an 11-foot three-point line, but nonetheless, I drained threes all day. Like, I'm a shooter. And then they come close, and they start rolling off numbers, and it's getting close to calling your number, and then your stomach just starts to turn. Because then you start thinking, what if I miss a layup in front of a... 3,000 people. Like you start having all these thoughts. And then when they don't call your number, you're like, oh man, I was so going to drain that. Like, oh, I wish they had, didn't want to be out there anymore than I wanted to be sick at my stomach. But I just, there's that moment where like, oh, I would, but I, you know. And sometimes we get so familiar and so comfortable being broken that it becomes an excuse for never stepping out in faith and taking a risk for God. Like, I'd love to, but, you know, I've got this thing. Financially, I'm here. Relationally, I'm over here. I love to, but the kids or but my schedule, but all sorts of reasons. So when God said, Jesus said, do you want to get well? It was much more than, are you tired of not being able to walk? It was, are you willing to step into a world that you don't know? Are you willing to no longer be able to get attention because of what you've been through or what you're going through? And are you really ready to have no excuses for not stepping out and following and being obedient? All of that was wrapped up into that question. Well, Jesus healed the man, and it happened to be on what is known as the Sabbath. We look at Sunday as a holy day. We try not to work. We set aside time to focus on God and what's going on in our lives. And theoretically, we do at least. Um, during this time, the Sabbath was on a Saturday and it was much more legalistic and it was, uh, there were many more rules. And so he's healed on the Sabbath and he's able to walk for the first time. He grabs his mat, he picks it up, rolls it up and starts to walk off. And he runs into some preachers, which is always a bad way to end your day. He walks off and finds some preachers and they come to him and they say, hey man, I'm sorry, you're breaking one of our laws. You can't carry a mat. That's one of our laws. Like you can only carry so much. A mat is off limits, too heavy, it's too bulky. That's considered work. And he said, well, I didn't mean to carry a mat. I just, I've been lying here. And a man healed me, and now I'm just taking my mat home. They said, well, who healed you? And then in the crazy, crazy turn of events, he says, I don't, I don't know. I forgot to ask him his name. I don't know who healed me. They said, come on, you're able to walk now. You haven't been able to walk your entire life, you say, for 38 years. And who healed you? I don't, I don't know. Not sure who it is. And the question for you today is not, do I know enough about Jesus? 
That's not a question. The question is, do you want to get well? If the question is, do you know enough about Jesus, then all of us just can give up. But if the question is, do you want to get well, that's a different question. This man knew nothing about Jesus. He didn't even know his name. He just knew this man came to him, asked him a question, and he processed through that question and found himself healed on the other side of it. Now, we don't have a lot of details about the encounter. I don't even know if the man answered, yes or no, do I want to get well? Maybe it was just a given. I'm still here. I can't go anywhere. What do you want me to do? But Jesus chose to heal him. He had no idea who Jesus was. The question is not, do you know enough about Jesus? The question is simply, do you want to get well? Are you sick enough of what you've gone through? Are you sick enough of being dependent on drinking or porn or whatever's holding you back? Are you sick enough of being sad and discouraged and depressed? Are you sick of just trying to get other people to look at you and say, it's okay, you're going to be all right? Are you tired enough of that life to say, whatever it takes, I'm ready to be well? Before you answer, let's finish the story. In John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Which in English is, look at you, all walkity and stuff. And so then it said, Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. He didn't know who made him well. He's hanging out with church people and Jesus walks through the crowd. He's like... It's you. And then Jesus says, well, look at you, standing up, walking to church, acting all different than you've been before. And there wasn't an embrace. He didn't drop and bow. Jesus then just turned to him and said, by the way, you need to clean your life up. Otherwise, something much worse than not being able to walk is going to happen to you. And he steps into the crowd, gone. That was a powerful moment there. But what Jesus was telling him, this was never about your legs. This was always about your heart. I was healing you on the outside to pave a way for you to have renewal on the inside. And I want you to know that the goal is not for God to heal you so that you can be normal like the people you're sitting around, to be average. God wants to heal you because he has a story that you and only you can live out but you're never going to live out if you're not willing to press through, to let go of those things around you and step into what he has for you. Otherwise, you will spend your entire life just lying on a mat about this close to healing, but just going, I don't know. This is all I've ever known. I'm the broken guy. I'm the discouraged girl. I'm the one that doesn't take a chance. I'm the one that tried and failed and everyone laughed at. I'm whatever we want to put on that. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? Let's pray together. And while you're praying, I want to remind you, I want to encourage you that this is not just for those of you who are followers of Jesus. That's a big, big step to take, I know, to say goodbye to the way things were. But this is also for those of you who are not followers of Jesus. And I simply want to draw the connection with the picture here. That Jesus walked into an environment where people were waiting on the waters to stir. And no one knew when the waters were going to stir for the last time. And if Jesus has your attention today, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you've been putting it off because there are hypocritical people around you or someone in the church did you wrong or something happened, I'm sorry those things happened, but 
None of those things has the power to keep you out of a relationship with God. Jesus didn't say, follow my people. He said, follow me. And I want you to know that this may be the last time that you notice the water stirring. So don't walk away from this right now. And if this is your moment to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. God, for those in this place who are ready to become followers of Jesus, I pray that you would give them the courage to take that step and be bold right now. They would call out in the quiet of this moment, the privacy of their hearts, and simply say, God, I'm coming home. God, for those who are followers of Jesus who need to take that next step of faith, I pray that you would give them the courage, you'd give them the confidence, the ability to be able to say, I'm moving on. I will no longer be held back by what's held me back, and I'm ready to move forward. God, I'm thankful for the bold steps of faith that you call us to take, and I pray that you would give us the strength to be someone we've never been before. By your power and your power alone, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Would you stand, please, as we respond in song?